The talk is about a nonviolent heart or unconditional peace. Why is it so hard for us to live in the present moment? Why is it so difficult for us to flow with how life is? The Buddha understood suffering on a very deep level. And he taught that if we take the time to uh, be quiet and to allow the attention to become still, and if we look very closely at how life really is, that we can come to understand that suffering isn't the presence of pleasure and it's not the presence of pain, uh, but that suffering is reacting to the passing of pleasure with attachment. Uh, And that reaction of the mind as life is flowing along is a kind of contraction. We experience this reaction uh, as being separate from life, and we suffer. We hold on to the pleasurable experience even though it's past. And then if we're moving along with life with our attention and something unpleasant happens and we're not aware of it, the reaction of fear, fear of pain, fear of unpleasantness or aversion to pain, uh, that reaction of the mind, that moving away from the truth of life is painful. It's the suffering. So we can see that it's not that uh, change is happening and that uh, life can move from pleasurable to unpleasant to pleasant to neutral and however that happens. That that flow of change isn't the problem for us. It's that we're not seeing it clearly and we're reacting, and in that reaction, we're not in tune with the flow of life, with the truth of life. The reaction or contraction is when we feel like a separate self, and that is the suffering. One of the wonders of sitting this time of year in New England here is the amazing kind of change that happens in the weather. So if you remember Friday, (laughs) where it was like 70 degrees and blue sky and the colors were peaking and the leaves were still mostly on the, the trees. And here it is just a few days later in this incredible, um, you could experience this wind as exhilarating or, <laughs> you know, just terrifying how much change has happened in the past day. The foliage has disappeared practically. There's a little bit left, but that beauty of the October leaves has already passed in one windstorm. And amazingly enough that when you come to accept this change and look out into the woods, you'll start to see that you can see much more clearly in the woods 
you can see further, you start to see an underlying pattern of the landscape of the land. That's one aspect of what we're doing on the retreat. So we're starting to get quieter and quieter, and we start to be able to see more clearly the underlying landscape of how we suffer, why we suffer. We tend to think that we should be getting rid of the suffering right away instead of starting to see the suffering on deeper and deeper levels, how it happens, understanding it, understanding it. That motivation getting purified of the intention to understand, the intention to understand, and again, the intention to understand, rather than to judge experience. One of my first long retreats I remember doing here, I was sitting uh, kind of long hours in the hall, uh, and I moved quite slowly. There was a maybe late afternoon, I was sitting here, and it would take me a really long time to get from in here down to the bathroom downstairs. And there, there was, it was a kind of natural in my practice. I didn't force the slowing down or you know, sitting for long hours. It just happened at that time. So I'm not saying that that's how (laughs) you should be practicing. Uh, In that period, I started to notice this kind of underlying pattern more clearly than ever. I would see when I would feel just the slightest bit off. It's like, you know when the sun is out and the tiniest cloud will come in front of the sun, And even though it's the smallest cloud, it will affect, you know, the whole um, experience of where we are. The shade will happen. So I was sitting in here, and someone did something, and I didn't even notice that there was the slightest bit of unpleasantness, and there was aversion, but I didn't notice it. I resisted it. And from here, the trip all the way down to that door, the trip all the way down the steps, and all the way across the lowing walking room in that time period, and it used to take me a long time to do that. And I just felt, "Mm, I couldn't quite be here, couldn't quite be here. And it amazed me and fascinated me that it took all that time before I went, oh, ouch. You know, that little teeny little thing actually really bothered me, and there was aversion, and I finally accepted it, and I felt like I could go on. Um, In some ways, whenever we're not mindful, you can see our our minds are like (laughs) flypaper. That's a kind of gross example, but if you, you know those yellow kind of disgusting things of flypaper that hang in restaurants? And as the day goes on, the flies get stuck to it. Every time we don't notice aversion, and every time we don't notice attachment, that's like a fly getting stuck in the mind. Uh, And it's until we really open to that, that the mind is no longer sticky. We don't feel separate anymore. And then the flow of life, experience happens again, and we can be with that moment-to-moment flow. One time in the 
night the Buddha was sitting and a celestial being that was experiencing a lot of doubt came to the Buddha and he asked the Buddha this question. Tangled within, tangled without, creatures are tangled in tangles. And so I ask you, Gotama, who can untangle this tangle? <laughs> the Buddha answered, a wise person of stable virtue, developing mind and wisdom, a prudent and ardent practitioner, he or she can untangle this tangle. Those whose desire and aversion and ignorance are cleansed away, they have untangled this tangle. It's a wonderful image if you kind of consider this sitting in the night and a lot of doubt and being able to ask the Buddha, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Why is, it so, why is it so hard to get free? And the answer being that you, <laughs> you can untangle this tangle. Anybody can untangle this tangle. The tangle is the whole network of craving, of desire, of aversion, of delusion. And if you think again of the foliage um, being one metaphor for that network of, of tangling, and you see how as this uh, uh, leaves are falling down, you can see more clearly. Uh, that's part of how the practice goes. You start seeing more clearly how we get tangled within and how we get tangled without. This question uh, is how the whole uh, path of purification, the book, the Vasudhimarga, starts with this question. You know, the training of the mind in terms of morality, in terms of concentration, in terms of wisdom, that, that whole training starts with asking this question. And it's meant that we ask this question. I was thinking yesterday about this question. And I often on retreat, I think our motivation gets unclear. And we, we get confused and think that aversion can untangle the tangle. Or we think that attachment can untangle this tangle. Uh, whenever we are motivated to get rid of something in the practice or to try to get a good sitting, that's trying to untangle these tangles uh, through the very tangles. Only the Dharma can untangle the tangles. Only the truth. Whenever we have a purity of mindfulness, of purity of awareness, only in that moment is the tangle entangled. We can't untangle it through, through aversion. As you have probably noticed when you have a major aversion attack, that it gets worse and worse <laughs> until one can finally go, oh, aversion, that's half the battle. You know, the moment when you can see it clearly for what it is, it's no longer a problem. It's when we're fighting it, when the mind is violent, when the heart is violent, when we're trying to change what's happening, that's when we get more tangled. 
So in a moment of pure motivation, there's a moment of peace and a moment of pure mindfulness. We'll feel at home in this world. We're not feeling separate from the experience. And it's, of course, we say this over and over again, but it's not the experience that matters. One can get liberated noticing anything. One can get liberated noticing aversion. One can get liberated noticing delusion or attachment. And if one feels on the surface of things, try to remember that it's the purity of awareness again that's deep. It doesn't matter if the experience feels deep. Purity of awareness itself is deep, whether we feel on the surface or feel in the depths of experience. The purity of motivation or feeling at home in this world, a moment of pure mindfulness, is the heart of the practice. I think what can get confusing in the practice is that the, whether we have one moment of a pure moment of awareness or whether we have a few moments or an hour or maybe there's a balance of mindfulness and concentration and energy that lasts for a while in the practice. We tend to call that good practice. It was a good sitting. And it's very easy (laughs) to get attached to that. It's so hard not to get attached to what we would call a good, a good practice or a peak experience. Uh, unconditional peace, a nonviolent heart, is the hardest thing in practice not to be attached to. You know, it makes sense when we're caught in wanting it and that yearning, that yearning for not being tangled is so deep and in a way it's so pure, it's hard to see clearly why we wouldn't want it back. (laughs) When we're caught, it's really hard. Uh, And one thing to remember if you're experiencing that kind of struggle is that any time there's a moment of purity in the practice, that that is part of the purification. It It makes space for the tangles to appear. Just as the mindfulness and energy and concentration are going along uh, in that purity, at some point the energy usually starts to go down. And in some ways this is a bad joke, you know, because just as the energy starts to go down, that purity has made space for another layer to come up. It's a layer of purification. Some layer of attachment or aversion will be coming up. And just as we're getting clobbered by that layer, we're really attached, we're screaming to get back to that nice sitting. We have total resistance to this layer coming up. And the energy's going down, so we can't deal with it anyway. (laughs) That's the practice. (laughs) 
And then we fight. We, we, we get very violent. We want the nice sitting. We don't want the purification. And we forget that that's what we're here for. We're here for the purification. We're here to face whatever is meant to happen so that we get freer. And you don't get free by sitting here blissed out all day. You know, it's that purity that makes space for the difficulty and that it's meant to go hand in hand. It's like two sides of a coin. They, they seem like two different worlds. They are. They feel very different and yet they're both essential to be liberated. I find in the practice that the judgment of the tangles appearing, taking those tangles personally, taking the reacting mind personally, to be the biggest obstacle in practice. We come here with the intention to understand life on deeper and deeper levels. And it's important to ask ourselves and renew asking ourselves what exactly are we interested in in practice? Are we interested in the good sittings or are we also interested in the purification? And if you get caught in this, just try to remember this once in a while, that, that it's all part of it. If we don't understand this process, when we identify very strongly with what we call a good sitting and we, we take personally the layers coming up of difficulty, it can lead to a lot of depression or despair in the practice. But if we understand that this is the process, it can be like the wind today. It's exhilarating rather than horrible. So if we, take, if we take personally the arising or appearing of a layer of attachment or aversion or delusion and we think we're no good, uh, we don't really have a relationship with the practice that's clear. We don't understand how it happens. Uh, and as we start to understand this process more and more, we start being able to be interested in purification itself. We start being able to see that any time aversion arises, that that moment is a teaching, that the aversion is teaching us how to work with aversion. And any time attachment appears, that that attachment itself is going to teach us how to work with attachment or delusion. <laughs> Same thing, that the arising of delusion teaches us how to work with delusion. So the nonviolent heart or unconditional acceptance is being able to bring a kindness and a tenderness to the reacting mind itself. This is part of a poem from Pablo Neruda called We Are Many. 
And in listening to it, kind of get the sense of someone who is accepting the tangles, accepting the paradoxes of who we think we are. When everything seems to be set to show me off as intelligent, the fool I always keep hidden takes over all that I say. At other times, I'm asleep among distinguished people, and when I look for my brave self, a coward unknown to me rushes to cover my skeleton with a thousand fine excuses. When a decent house catches fire, instead of the fireman, I summon an arsonist who bursts on the scene, and that's me. What can I do? What can I do to distinguish myself? How can I pull myself together? All the books I read are full of dazzling heroes, always sure of themselves. I die with envy of them. And in films full of wind and bullets, I goggle at the cowboys. I even admire the horses. (laughs) But when I call for a hero, out comes my lazy old self. (laughs) So I never know who I am, nor how many I am or will be. I'd love to be able to touch a bell and summon the real me, because if I really need myself, I mustn't disappear. (laughs) So acceptance of pain in this world, acceptance of pleasure. If we look at the area of the unpleasant or the pain in this world, um, one of my favorite sayings from the Native American tradition is, it's a good day to die. And whenever you're experiencing resistance to something painful, whether it's physical or emotional or (laughs) deeply, subtly spiritual, You might remember that phrase, it's a good day to die. Now, what does that mean? It means the complete, utter acceptance of pain, of unpleasantness, of how life truly is. This isn't something that happens quickly in our practice in describing um, unconditional acceptance. This is equanimity or balance with how life is. And we can't rush it. It's like if you see an apple ripening on a tree, that's how equanimity happens. It's a slow maturing or ripening of accepting how life is. One time I was sitting here uh, for five months. I sat a three-month retreat and then stayed on for two more months. And toward just about three and a half months into the retreat, I had to have an operation. This is many years ago. 
uh, I didn't have health insurance at the time, and I probably should have had the operation in, in the hospital, but I had it in the emergency room. I talked this doctor into doing it this way. Um, and I remember driving back here from <coughs> the emergency room, and I happened to be allergic to codeine, so I was throwing up all the way back from the hospital, and I was really in a lot of pain. And then uh, I tried the Demerol, which uh, <laughs> uh, I couldn't urinate. I had an allergic reaction to the Demerol. So I was upstairs in the room, you know the room with a big tub and the main bathroom up there? I was in the room next to that uh, bathroom, and I could hear people coming in and out, in and out. And I was in this enormous <coughs> amount of pain, uh, and I couldn't take painkillers. So in that, um, if you can imagine going into that after <coughs> sitting for three and a half months, I was quite open. Uh, and I noticed that I kept feeling defeated by not being able to open to the pain. And I kept thinking of this uh, talk I heard once where someone described uh, in one lifetime before the Buddha was the Buddha, how his arms and legs were being sawed off and he didn't have one mind moment of aversion. <laughs> and I was thinking, hmm, <laughs> you're doing really good, Michelle. And I kept judging how reactive I was to this pain. Uh, and over the time of working with it, the first few days, uh, I would notice that I finally started having this ability to move to the side of, size of the head of a pin in my abdomen. Like I could either shrink, if I had the energy, I could shrink to the one little pinhead and I would be okay with the pain. Or I would have to just open up totally uh, and I could be okay with the pain. Uh, but whenever the energy would start to go down and I could measure it by somebody coming in the bathroom and flushing the toilet, or, you know, and if somebody came in and I just wanted to scream at them, you know, then I knew <laughs> that I was really not doing okay with the pain. It was just aversion attack. So I started learning how to work with the Demerol and that in those times when I just was, just couldn't, I couldn't bear it anymore. I couldn't open up, I couldn't close to a pinhead. Um, I would crush up a Demerol and I would lick my finger and I would just take the teeniest lick and I would notice how that in that few minutes later and then some maybe 15 minutes later, half an hour, I would notice how this drug, whatever it would do, whatever it was doing, I don't know the chemical composition of it, but what I would experience was that it would actually not affect the pain at all. It was still there, but it would actually dull something in me so that I could just barely feel it. I was dull, but when it would wear off, I would have actually have less ability to be with the pain. And so I started just watching that relationship between dulling it and then having less energy for it. And there were times when I had to do it. And the whole experience was really important for me because it was hard for me to accept my limit. It was hard for me to accept that I couldn't be with it sometimes, that I had to take something, 
my arms and legs even weren't being thought of, and I still had to close down. And I also started to see that relationship between the less we learn to open to pain, the less we're able to open to pain. Some people have asked about dealing with chronic uh, pain at different times, and in some ways that was the beginning of me starting to learn how to accept all the areas in which uh, we react to physical pain. But it could be just as well emotional or just as well uh, psychological. It could be fear of rejection. It could be fear of death. It could be a a real deep uh, attachment to pleasure. Whatever it is that trips us up, um, to be able to accept the whole show, to accept the times when we can work with it, and to really learn how to accept the times when we shut down and we can't. That's a nonviolent heart. That's truly having equanimity with having no equanimity. And this is, this is, again, something that happens gradually, not quickly. Over time of practice, I started to see that um, there were some places in the body that would start to appear over years of practice that I started to see as kind of sacrificial areas. Uh, and the places that I used to think were Um, so painful and such incredible knots, I started to respect as sacred sites in my body. That here, this part of my body had held and contracted something that my mind couldn't deal with at the time. And so the body made a sacrifice to hold it. And over the years of practice, I could look back and see, wow, when a certain physical knot started to appear, my first, my first reaction is to say, oh no, I have to get rid of this, instead of saying, wow, thank you, I'm starting to get strong enough to experience this. Do you see the difference? One you can start having this incredible respect for anything that appears in the body that's painful, whether it's a deep karmic pain, and we'll never know what it is, the Dharma pain, or, you know, the meat hook, the meat hook in the middle back, <laughs> or the, you know, little left of center of the middle back, <laughs> or the little right of center of the middle back, you know, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> You know, who can understand a meat hook in the middle of the back? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> how, do you, how do you have gratitude for that? But if that starts to appear, that's a good sign. It means that one is relaxing, one's opening, uh, and it's the beginning of us understanding our defense system. And if you start to be able to accept where the body is contracting, then slowly we start to be able to accept where the heart is contracting and the mind is contracting. And instead of trying to stop that reaction and stop the contracting, 
one yields into it, one allows it. And it's out of that purity of mindfulness, of just allowing the contraction, that it'll untangle itself. We don't have to do anything with these places. In the practice, it's only mindfulness that heals. About a week ago, or sometime recently, I had to go uh, to my hometown. Uh, And where my father lives now is not where I grew up, but I I went to uh, where I grew up. And I had to go down the Massachusetts Turnpike, and I took an exit that I haven't taken maybe since I was 20 years old. I'll be 45 this year, so it's many years since I drove through this part of town, and it was my um, refuge as a child, like all of that area, even where they put the Mass Pike in and and the Lake Cotituate, all around that area, is the place in nature that I felt kept me sane through my childhood. So as I drove off the exit, I started to see these humongous buildings that had never been there before, and they're all kind of like um, really opulent. And they're so opulent that these people don't even have to put a sign up. You know, not even that, (laughs) I kept thinking, not even a little sign. (laughs) They don't even have to put a little sign up. And I'm going along, and it was became completely unrecognizable to me. I got lost. It was like so many big buildings, and um, I started to see how my memory of this place is really mostly from dreams now. And in my dreams, the place is shiny and um, bright and uh, spacious and trees and nature and, and then very few houses. And here I was in this completely different world. And I thought way back when I left there that I had dealt with what had happened environmentally. And I thought I had dealt with the grief and the mourning. But as I drove through there, I started to see all these layers of aversion and mourning that I hadn't been able to face, I hadn't been able to open to. And in some ways it was painful, but it was another kind of homecoming and wonderful to feel that there was no resistance to the aversion. You know, that of course, yes, it hurts, it feels terrible, and you know, why? But any time we ask ourselves, why is this happening, one usually can get to see that it's really better to say what is happening right now, rather than why is this happening. What is happening right now will usually bring us face to face with the unpleasantness. And why is this happening is really moving away from the experience of the unpleasantness. I've seen in practice how one of the processes is uncovering more and more subtle layers of the aversion and attachment. And this doesn't mean that the experience is subtle. (laughs) Uh, Be careful of thinking that 
that's how it's supposed to be. Sometimes the experience won't be subtle at all. It'll be surprising. You know, some people will come in and they'll feel like, you know, a drive-by killer in the dining room. (laughs) Have you ever felt like a drive-by killer in the dining room? Uh, Can you admit that one would feel murderous rage? Uh, And you can see the headlines in the Barry Gazette, you know. (laughs) Someone lost it at IMS and machine gunned down some people. You know, we're not that far from that you know, we really. N- <laughs> it's really important to accept murderous rage. If you're walking along and you're going, aversion, aversion, and actually primal rage is happening, you know, it's really not facing it. <laughs> it's not subtle in that moment. But the awareness of it can be free. Just because we say to ourselves, oh great, rage, let me see if I can open to it, that's not going to make the rage pleasant. It's, it's, it's such a separate experience. We feel so separate uh, and it's so painful. But to be able to acknowledge that that degree of wish for separation is happening, uh, once we get there for it, it's fine. It's okay. It's not a problem. The first time that I felt that I um, saw something outside of myself in nature that matched that kind of energy was when I saw the volcano go off on the big island of Hawaii. Uh, And seeing something outside of myself with this kind of liquid fire and that built-up aversion. (laughs) It's like that built-up smoldering inability to open to aversion. If you look at the last, um, this last lifetime, and how much support you've gotten to open to the experience of aversion, you might guess that there might be some slight building up of pressure. Just, you know, for some people it's subtle, And for some people, it's not so subtle. But whether you're subtle or not so subtle, what's important is to be able to accept that that's what's happening. It's just the reaction. This uh, summer, I was swimming in Hawaii, in Honolulu, And it was one of those perfect days that we probably hardly ever get here in New England. Uh, But it was, you know, like nice warm weather, warm water, uh, still. The water was like silk. And I was swimming, and it was so pleasant. (laughs) Uh, And then I had a friend with me, and we went to this place that uh, when you take a shower, you can I, I should have known better than to put my bathing suit into this thing, but there's this little machine that squeezes the water out of your bathing suit so that you can carry it home and it's not dripping. <laughs> and I had just bought this bathing suit, and I always have a hard time finding them. Uh, and it's this big deal for some reason to get a bathing suit. And this bathing suit was on sale, but it was still pretty nice. And <laughs> uh, it, more than I should have spent on a bathing suit. Uh, 
So I put my bathing suit in this thing and it ate it. You know, it just like... <laughs> <laughs> complete... Oh, it was unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I put it in, you know, and Nietzsche, I put it in whole, <laughs> take it out, and it's, <laughs> it's in shreds. And that, that whole swim, you know, that wonderful, pleasurable swim, just my mind could not accept this. And all afternoon, all I could focus on was that swimsuit. I couldn't focus, I couldn't remember even that the swim had happened. And I got home and I <laughs> showed Steve the swimsuit. And he's like, well, why don't you try to focus on the swim? And I'm like, <laughs> but look. <laughs> Look at my bathing suit. <laughs> and do you ever notice that you can have a day where everything's kind of going sort of okay, and like three quarters of the day has been okay, and maybe something happens in the day and you can't let go of it. It's like the mind latches onto something unpleasant and just holds and holds and holds. Um, at some point, we have to accept <laughs> that the reacting mind is happening and that it's okay. This is a quotation from the Ashley Book of Knots. It's called, um, this knot is called the hairy devil. To untangle a snarl, Loosen all jams or knots and open a hole through the mass at the point where the longest end leaves the snarl. Then proceed to roll or wind the end out through the center, exactly as a stocking is rolled. Keep the snarl open and loose at all times, and do not pull on the end. Permit it to unfold itself. If you're caught in delusion or attachment or aversion, keep the snarl open and loose at all times, and do not pull on the end. Permit it to unfold itself. Sometimes we are experiencing tiny knots. And sometimes we're experiencing deep karmic knots or medium knots, but the process is the same. It's like that bathing suit experience, you know, in, in, <laughs> in the long run, that wasn't that bad a day. You know, and I can see that as a very teeny tiny knot. A deep karmic knot for me would be fear of rejection. And that is something that will play out for me. It's a lifetime of learning how to work with a deep karmic knot. But either way, the advice is the same. It's like we have to be able to learn how to get out of the way and give them space and a tender understanding rather than aversion or attachment. Aversion and attachment can never untangle a knot. Only the Dharma can untangle a knot. (coughs) 
So to untangle a tangle or a snarl, permit it to unfold itself. Even if it's a deep, deep karmic knot, and we have them, it's like maybe we feel like we have a kind of subtlety of our life and practice, but a deep karmic knot can merely be the fear of death. Most people have that as a deep karmic knot. It doesn't have to be something like fear of abandonment or the feeling of being worthless or the desire for approval. Uh, There's many kinds of knots, and the the kinds I'm describing tend to be just not little tiny knots. There are teachers for a lifetime. In terms of the fear of death, the whole practice is about learning to face dissolving, to face decaying, to face that each moment is really taking birth and passing away, taking birth and passing away. Uh, And we all have our time to go. It's a very vulnerable experience, this experience of being mortal or human. And to face life as it really is, to face the profundity of change, In our practice, there'll be deeper and deeper levels of seeing how much we're reacting to mortality and and seeing the possibility for deeper and deeper levels of acceptance. One of my favorite stories uh, is around the teacher Suzuki Roshi, who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And when he was dying, you know, just before he died, the very few moments before he died, he said, I don't want to die. And to me, that is so simple. It's so honest. It's so liberating to see that, you know, he could just be where he was. I mean, you don't expect somebody like Suzuki Roshi at the death moment to be saying, I don't want to die. Do you? (laughs) We're not supposed to feel like that if we've done practice all our life, are we? We're supposed to say, oh boy, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) But to just be where he was, it's like that's in that moment, without any resistance to that, that moment can pass. I don't want to die is just the moment. And if we really can open to that moment, the next moment would be free. We wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't get caught or identified with it. It would be true um, just in that moment. Allowing ourselves to be wherever we are, to me, is the most important understanding that we can have in our life. You know, that's the truth of things. That's where we are. No matter where we are, <laughs> over and over, I've learned that, that I can kick and scream or pretend that, you know, I'm not there. But ultimately, I have to come to that place of accepting 
where I am. And in that moment of acceptance, I'm liberated. If you remember Friday, where it was such a beautiful, um, exquisite October day, where the sky was so blue, it was so warm, and the colors were peaking. Um, Pablo Neruda has a line where he says that the day got caught inside his throat. And I think that that kind of a day can get caught in our throat. And just watch how, in terms of the weather here, just to see how one relates to the change. It's a good way to start to see how we relate to the inner tangles, to just watch. In something like weather, it's pretty easy to see our reaction and to not take it so personally. Uh, So if you did experience that day as very pleasurable, uh, to see if you could take a day like today that is very unpleasant, see how one reacted to it and not to judge it. If you hated today, and to learn how to open to that and be okay with it. If you loved the wind today, to see if you can open to that. And not try to say, I should be balanced with this. I should be unconditionally accepting of this. That makes it harder to get free. You just be where you are. You bring the understanding to it and then it will move, it will change. Long ago, my first long retreat when I was in Wales, I had um, an allergic reaction to the hall and to my room. Uh, And three weeks into the retreat, one of the cooks offered me her room. And the room was next to a bathroom. And I had avoided being next to a bathroom um, in my first years of practice, which was when I was on staff here. And I had sat just a little bit before that. Uh, So I got quite quiet in the room next to the bathroom. And I felt so grateful that I finally had a space I could sit. And that happens a lot in my practice, that I am so grateful whenever I get even the tiniest corner that works for me. And I think that gratitude is really important in practice. If, If one's sitting here day after day after day after day, and one doesn't have any sense of gratitude, (laughs) um, try to reflect on how amazing it is that one has this space. Anything that you can do to remember how (laughs) unbelievably lucky we are to be here, uh, this is incredible. When Upandita comes here, he says, this is the heaven realm. You know, it's the heaven realms. We are just so well taken care of here. It's extraordinary. And if something isn't working out in the hall, 
you can go to the, that room upstairs in 101. That's unbelievable. And then if that's not working out, you can go to a room. And maybe there's somebody else in the room. So what? You know, most of my practice when I had a roommate, that taught me a lot. It actually helped me get freer quicker. <laughs> you know, the more we get what we want, the easier it is to get attached. And it's not to say that if you have a single room, that's not a good place to get liberated. <laughs> you know, I think that the gratefulness will overcome anything <laughs> that uh, might be an obstacle. But I would recommend that you reflect on it sometimes. Reflect on uh, the state of the world and what human beings are dealing with. Uh, and try to cultivate some of at least the joy in that. Uh, that's what happened for me over and over in my practice, that I would struggle so hard to just find a place that I could be. And even if it was outside in some shack in the rain where it was freezing, that would be such a gift to me. That taught me a lot about sitting down and experiencing gratitude. So within that, here I was getting quieter, and I could hear everything that people would come into the toilet with. It was incredible. I, I had this juxtaposition of feeling so grateful, and then this aversion would come up uh, for the sounds in the bathroom. And over and over again, I'd struggle with feeling so grateful and then just wanting to kill the person who was peeing. You know, it was just over and over again and again and again, working with that aversion to the unpleasantness, not being able to accept it. And there was a moment of such deep surrender with it. There was this moment where the toilet flushed, where I just totally accepted it. Uh, and this, this might seem like a weird way to end a talk, but... <laughs> I can assure you that you can get liberated listening to a toilet flush. <laughs> Anything you're struggling with is what's going to liberate you. The thing that you think is an obstacle is going to be what frees you. If it's just boredom, then the boredom's going to free you. You know, it can be subtle. It doesn't have to be that big an aversion attack. You know, that's my practice. I go th deeper through aversion. Somebody else might go deeper through attachment. Someone else might go deeper through delusion. Whatever, whatever it is, try to remember that that's the route. That's the path. Unconditional acceptance, unconditional peace is being able to really relate to each moment like it's a good day to die. You know, it's complete. Each moment takes birth and passes away. And in that moment of complete acceptance of that moment, we're completely here. We're completely non-separate from the universe. We allow the universe to touch us very deeply. And when we learn to do that once, when we really can receive the totality once, maybe a whole 
three or four hours or three or four days of a difficult layer might emerge, that's, that's the practice. Maybe it's three minutes, but it's that being able to totally receive the moment and to completely understand, and then the shit hits the fan. Nice metaphor. (laughs) 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 And then we fight and struggle until the white flag comes up and we open up again. We accept, we don't take it personally, and we have another moment or moments of peace, completion. This is the route into a non-violent heart. And over time, I've seen that what really has developed for me is a, is a, a kindness and a tenderness toward the reacting mind and, and a respect for this process. It's, a, it's an exquisite process, the process of liberation. So I'd like to end with a quotation from Rumi. The way of love is not a subtle argument. The door there is devastation. Birds make great sky circles of their freedom. How do they learn it? They fall, and falling, they're given wings. The purification process is like that falling, and every time we can totally accept that, we're given wings, and we're free. Let's sit for a minute. 